Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ on this wonderful Sunday. Uh, happy that you are all here. As I mentioned earlier, this is our kind of ongoing walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, and so we're going to we're going to kind of jump into the, what we would call the, the prologue of Ecclesiastes today. And we're going to look specifically at two different terms, two different concepts that are going to, uh, you're going to see run throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. So uh, the, the concept of meaninglessness in our life, and the second one is life under the sun. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But that, that question of does my life have meaning, I, I think is one that, that we ask of ourselves uh, if I can get a, a show of hands, how many of you have changed jobs or considered changing jobs over the last two years? If you're brave, holy cow. Okay, <clears throat> actually, um, that, act, I shouldn't say holy cow, that actually statistically is pretty consistent with what I have found. Um, over the last two years, I think uh, there's been more movement, there's been more change in our lives than maybe in the 10 years leading up to that. Now, I'm not so naive to think that this is um, the worst time of all time, that this is the only time that we've seen this kind of upheaval in America. There's been far, uh, there's been times in our nation that have been far more um, disturbing maybe than the last two years, but the last couple years have, uh, we've seen this kind of movement of people within their jobs. You probably heard the term the great resignation, right? Some of you maybe are a part of it, right? Um, that's a reality that they've found over the last couple years. And what's fascinating now is uh, they knew that this was coming, especially year one. You've maybe heard me talk about it once or twice. Um, but what's really interesting now is that they're, they're starting to dig a little bit deeper into why people uh, are changing jobs and why they've decided to resign. So that's what we want to look at today. Um, a few stats for you as we get going, though. Um, in the month of September alone, so these are kind of the latest ones that we have, 4% uh, of all Americans quit their jobs. So 4% of our workforce quit their job in the month of September alone. So that's a huge amount. Um, according to polls between, and it depends which poll you grab, um, but this is kind of the, the range, between 39 to 95% of American workers um, are considering or have considered a job change, okay? So when you all raised your hand, I didn't, I didn't do a count. It was a good, was it a third of us here this morning? Maybe pushing to almost a half, um, have it actually changed jobs or considering it? Some of you are probably sitting here this morning saying, yeah, I'm actually like right now, it's heavy on my heart that that may be something I'm gonna be doing, right? Here's the thing. You're not alone in that. And there's lots of reasons, I think, over the last couple of years why that happens. And I would guess if I each asked each and every one of your stories, you'd have maybe slightly different reasons for that. Um, we talk about just how hard it is in the service industry, um, how terrible we are to one another in the service industry, right? Uh, so people that are, that are in restaurants and food, um, hotels, things like that are just 
kind of getting fed up with it, saying, I don't want to do this any longer. Um, there's, there's increased opportunities. So some of your mobility has actually been to, to get jobs that you enjoy a little bit more. Maybe you get a pay raise. Maybe you try a different genre, right? Things like that. So there, there's kind of lots of reasons, I think, for some of those. But here's one of the most fascinating things that have come out of the great resignation that sociologists are starting to find, uh, that when they talk to people, there are... I don't know if we call it ancillary reasons, maybe why they considered a job change, right? Maybe it's COVID, maybe it's stress of the job, maybe it's opportunity of new jobs around there. But one of the overarching reasons that people tended to give was that they were looking for a job that gave their lives meaning. I think that's fascinating for us. Because we're in a time where there actually is lots of employment and there is lots of mobility. And so what are we almost universally asking, saying, I don't just need a job. I want a job that gives my life meaning. Um, there's a lady, uh, her name is Jocelyn Lincoln. She is a, um, what, I think they call them headhunters. That's probably not a very appropriate term. What are the talent scouts? No, what uh, hiring managers? Recruiters, that's better than headhunters. So anyway, it's probably an outdated term. Um, that's what she probably wouldn't like it if I called her that. Uh, she's a recruiter, right? She's been doing it. She said she's been doing it for 22 years. Here's a quote from her on the last year alone of her doing her job. Uh, she says this, I remember I told my manager I've never been on more calls with people crying than ever before in my entire career. They became very introspective about, around what's important, what matters, what's sacred to me, what do I want my legacy to be? Am I prioritizing the right things in my life? Those are fascinating things, aren't they? So this is a secular hiring manager. This is what the workforce is saying. She even used that term, um, what's sacred to me, right? We almost universally are asking, does our life have meaning? Uh, another quote, there are another couple um, statistics then for you. Um, one in five American workers uh, claim that their jobs are meaningless, okay? So one out of every five of us would say that our job has absolutely no meaning, okay? Uh, the second one here, nine out of 10, this is a Harvard study, uh, said that they would take less money uh, for a job that was meaningful to them. So it's not just about getting a paycheck, right? They'd actually take less money if they felt good about the job that they were doing. Now, on some level, I think we've seen this. Uh, you, at least I've seen this wave, I think, in the last 10, 15 years, uh, where companies are increasingly portraying themselves and in some cases actually uh, getting involved in causes that have meaning, right? Uh, major companies, right, that, that, that give to nonprofits, um, companies that, that are trying to not only sell you a product, but also are trying to convince us um, that what you're doing and what you're buying has meaning, one more quote. This is from a professor at CSU, right in our backyard. Uh, his name is Michael Steiger. Uh, he's a psychologist, but he specific, specifically studies the concept of meaning uh, and the psychological issues that, that surround this. Uh, Michael says this, when folks engage in meaningful work, they're more productive. They get better supervisor ratings. They are rated as better team members. They're happy to put in discretionary work hours and they tend to act as better brand ambassadors for their organizations. They're the ones who put paper back in the copier after they've taken the last sheet. That's probably my favorite line out of that quote. <laughs> You're all giggling because you probably didn't put the paper in, did you, right? So 
Um, when there's no paper in our copier, you know the only person I have to blame? Yeah, you're looking at him, so yeah. <laughs> so, um, but but what, what he's talking about is that like, um, so not only do we want our lives to have meaning and our work lives to have meaning, but when they do or when we perceive that they do, guess what? We're actually better workers, right? We're more productive. We feel, feel better about ourselves. So if you felt that, if you've asked yourself that over the last couple of years or at any point in your life, um, what am I doing? Does it have meaning? Solomon, that's exactly what the book of Ecclesiastes digs into. In fact, in kind of an extended question, that's exactly what Solomon is going to force us to ask of ourselves. Why are we here? What is sacred to us? What will our legacy be? Where are we going to spend our time? And does my life have meaning? Today we're going to get into the very first kind of introduction to that. Uh, And our theme is simply going to be meaningless today as we look into our text. So you're welcome to follow along with me if you would like. Um, All of our text you're going to find in your bulletin. I'll also have it on the screen behind me. Um, But before I put that up, I want to just give us a little bit of reminder, historical reminder of where we're at in Ecclesiastes. So I know not everybody was with us a couple weeks ago. I kind of did a a historical intro to Ecclesiastes. Um, But most theologians will say that Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. King Solomon was arguably the greatest king of the nation of Israel greatest with uh, asterisk after it. Um, Some will say King David, but people will call King David a warrior king. So King David, um, he fought and and he expanded Israel to the largest that his borders would ever be. His son Solomon took over. God said, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. What did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom in administering justice. God said, I'm going to give you that. And not only that, but I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you prestige. I'm going to give you all these other things, right? So that is who the writer of Ecclesiastes is, is King Solomon. So David was considered a warrior king. Solomon would have been considered a, um, a peaceful king. So uh, he didn't fight battles, but he made peace treaties with the places around him. Uh, and this is a little bit of an aside. If you want to make a peace treaty with a neighboring country, what often does the king do? Yeah, he takes a wife. He marries one of the other king's daughters. So, uh, so uh, and interestingly enough, um, hundreds of wives and multiple hundreds of concubines that Solomon had um, did not lead him to a good spiritual place, even though it secured a degree of peace um, in an earthly sense for the nation of Israel, okay? So that's Solomon. That's who we're talking about here. So throughout this text, when he refers to the teacher, that's who we're talking about is Solomon. And actually, I, I, like, I, I think I like the word preacher for this a little bit more. Um, and this is the reason why. Uh, most will, uh, um, theologians will say that Solomon was delivering this book of Ecclesiastes to the Israelite people on the steps of the temple. So that's why I kind of lean towards preacher instead of teacher. Although there's lots of teaching that goes on in this, uh, there's a good healthy amount of preaching that goes on as well. So imagine for a minute, and as we go through this book of Ecclesiastes, that Solomon is delivering this sermon, this extended questioning session, uh, this teaching to his congregation on the steps of the temple, Solomon's temple. Now remember that a little bit. David was not allowed to build the temple. He never saw the glory of the temple. The Israelites up to that point had never known anything other than wandering in the desert and the tabernacle tent that was put up and taken down. 
but Solomon got to build it. And it was glorious, right? And all the beauty that was there and the gold and the ivory and, and all of those things. So the temple of the Lord was absolutely beautiful. And so Solomon, and this is late in his life. So this is old man Solomon, okay? This isn't young man Solomon. This is old man Solomon who had seen lots of life and had made lots of mistakes by his own admission. Stands in front of the Israelite people and delivers this book of Ecclesiastes to them with the glory of God's temple behind him. I think it would have been powerful, especially when we consider the opening words of our text. Solomon saying to you as Israelite Jews, with the beauty of God's temple behind him, meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless. It's all meaningless. It had been a pretty powerful juxtaposition, right? Because Solomon had gone through a building project. The Israelites had gone through a building project. And yet he stands on the steps of that building project and says, meaningless. I think it would have been powerful. And I think it is for us as well, right? Because that is the theme that Solomon kind of teases out and asks us to consider throughout this text. Now, you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. He introduces two things, two main concepts that I'm, I'm going to have you hold on to uh, throughout this sermon series. You won't even have to hold on to them because Solomon's going to keep putting them back in your face, okay? Uh, but two things. So I'm going to read for you verses one and two. The words of the teacher, the words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain for all their labors at which they toil under the sun. So standing on the, on the steps of the temple, Solomon says, what do people gain for all their toiling, right? All their toiling under the sun. With these opening verses, he introduces those two concepts to us, meaninglessness and under the sun. And I'm gonna start backwards. I just wanna start with the under the sun concept. Um, because that's a little bit unique to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, most books on the pages of Scripture, at least on, in some sense, you're kind of getting a top-down view of things, right? This is God's commands to us. These are, this is God's view of humankind. This is God's interaction in our world and in our lives and in the history of Israel and, and all these things. So most of the books of the Bible, it's more of a, it's more of a top-down view of things, Ecclesiastes is a, is a rare book where Solomon unapologetically says, everything I'm talking to you about is from under the sun. What does he mean by that? He means you and me right here and right now, right? So Solomon will make comments. He'll make observations. He'll, he'll state things bluntly because he's doing it with his feet on the ground. And what does Solomon and what do you and I see with our feet planted firmly on the ground. We see pain, we see pandemics, we see at times job losses, sometimes job gains. We see fractured families, we see relationships that are fraying, right? With our feet on the ground, as we look around, certainly there is joy, but there is, there's plenty of pain. There's plenty of brokenness as we look around our world. And so when Solomon talks to us, that's what you've got to remember. And that theme's going to run throughout this book. We'll talk a little bit more about it in subsequent sermons. But when Solomon talks to us, he's talking about the things that, when he says under the sun, that means the here and now, the temporal world, okay? 
temporal world in which we exist. The main theme of our text today is this concept that um, the, this is the NIV translation, translates as meaninglessness, okay? It's a fascinating word in our text. And I don't, I don't mind our NIV translation of that, um, but they make, a, they make some assumptions in that regard. So now, if this is more than what you wanted to know, but um, CVL uses the NIV as a translation. We think it's a, I think it's a faithful, um, um, it's accurate, but also readable. So it's a good translation. It's one you can use. Um, but in this case, it's one where I, I actually don't like the translation of that word meaningless quite as much. Um, these are a couple more, and the top one is King James Version. So if you've got a little gray on your head, you probably remember this one. Um, and this one feels, well, King James Version in general is like a poem. Like there's certain, like sometimes I just like reading King James Version because it's like, it's like a poem, right? Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. I should have read that version for you in our text because I would have been able to, right? So King James Version took that Hebrew word um, and, and translated it as vanity. So NIV goes meaninglessness. Um, King James Version goes vanity. And I think there's, there's sense in that one as well. So um, if you are vain, you are interested just uh, in yourself and in earthly things, in intangible things that are, that are going to kind of disappear. So that's the direction King James Version goes. Uh, this last one, this is the English Heritage Version. This is actually my favorite one here. Uh, nothing but vapor. Ecclesiastes said, so um, Ecclesiastes is the translation for preacher. Nothing but vapor, the preacher said, totally vapor, everything just vapor that vanishes. So I think I like that word best, that word vapor for this Hebrew word meaninglessness. King James Version and NIV did a couple things. They, without us noticing, they made a moral judgment and they read into the word just a little bit, right? So they said, well, um, um, meaninglessness, that there, there's a moral imperative there, right? Some things have meaning, some things don't. Vanity almost reads into it a, a, a sinful view of these things. Uh, but the bare word here is actually vapor, right? <clears throat> Top one there, that's the Hebrew word that you find in your text today. It's the word hevel, hevel, hevel. Everything is hevel, right? Uh, the bottom one there is ruach, which means wind or spirit. Now, you're wondering, okay, why is pastor teaching us Hebrew? Um, because here, here's the fascinating thing that, that Solomon is doing. Both Hevel and Ruach can be translated as spirit, as wind, as breath, as vapor. Both of those can, but they have a little different connotation when you're talking about them, okay? Ruach in the Old Testament is used for the spirit of God. So it's used for, for winds blowing. And actually in verse six of our text, the word ruach is used there. You'll see that word translated, okay? But the word that Solomon chose to use for us today, the word that we translate as meaningless, vanity, or vapor is hevel. And that can also be wind occasionally, but usually it's, it's, it's that concept of, of a quickly disappearing vapor. Uh, I, how, I don't, if it was cold enough this morning, as you went to your car, what would you see come out? You see your breath, right? Okay. So that, that's the picture Solomon wants us to, to grab a hold of, that life is like vapor. That if you, even if you wanted to grab a hold of it, you couldn't. Now, why did I contrast Hevel with Ruach for you? Um, here's the reason why. Um, because 
and I, uh, this is uh, um, a commentator kind of teased this out from these two words. Um, ruach would be more of a life-giving wind and spirit and breath. So you can do this with me. Breathe in. Okay. That's ruach. You have to breathe. You breathe in oxygen. It oxygenates, oxygenates your blood, right? That's ruach. You want to know what hevel is? It's the out, right? It's the out. It's what's been used. And in some sense, it's, it's death. It's not life. It's death. Vapor. That's what Solomon puts before us. He said everything is vapor. Everything is an exhale, not an inhale. This is not stuff that is, that is feeding us and nourishing us. But at the end of the day, everything that is under the sun ends up just being vapor. Okay? Meaninglessness, right? Now, Solomon goes on to kind of pull that apart a little bit. And I'm not going to read all those verses, but I'm going to finish it with verse 11. So Solomon says, No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. This is quite a pump-up sermon from Solomon, right? Do you, like, do you think like you would have gone to church at the temple on that Sunday morning, and he like starts out like verses 1 through 11, and you're like, holy cow, like, this is like, what are we getting today, right? Hevel, hevel, vapor, your lives are just vapor, right? And then he finishes with this, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And so with the temple in the background and all the glories that Solomon have, has, what he is saying is his life, the, the realities of our world are nothing more than vapor, right? Meaninglessness. Okay. Yeah, so now you're, are you, are you excited yet? Yeah, you're, you're like, holy cow. Okay. Um, Solomon's not alone uh, in talking about the realities uh, and the temporary basis of our lives and our living, okay? Uh, Jesus' half-brother James says something very similar in verses four, ver- th- four verse, chapter 4, verse 14. He says this, why do, you not even know what will hap- why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You can hear that word hevel in there even, right? This is Greek, but uh, that Hebrew word hevel, you are a mist, right? And if you don't want to take Solomon's word for it or James's word for it, uh, you want to know what artists readily pick up on? They pick up on hevel and meaninglessness. Like, so think back to like your college days. Were you like angst, angsty in your college days? Um, sometimes people will come to me and like, especially during college university, like their favorite book in the Bible oftentimes is Ecclesiastes. It's like, oh, that's so like, right? They're just kind of angsty and they want to like, well, artists tend to do that as well because, and I think there's some good in that because they are, and we are considering the deeper things of life, right? Does our life have meaning? So Solomon, James, and you know this guy as well, William Shakespeare, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. Okay. Hevel, meaninglessness. Do you feel that way? 
Do you feel that way this morning? And you're like, I didn't. And then you start talking about it all the time, Pastor. It's like, thanks a lot, right? Yeah, sorry. You maybe didn't this morning, uh, but you might, and you probably have, and you guaranteed you will at some point. Um, because that's how life feels sometimes, like vapor. You try to hold on to your kids, but they grow and they move out and they make their own decisions. You try to hold on to your career and your job and you try to work up that workforce and you put away money in your 401k and yet at the end of your life, depending on your health, it probably all slips out the back door anyway, right? Truth is, I don't think we have to think very deeply about, and I, I, I think we intimately understand when Solomon says all things are hevel, the vapor of our life, right? Now, I think we feel that. But here's what I'm not saying, and this is a little bit of a throwback to two weeks ago. We talked about these uh, four different views on meaning in our lives. These are kind of general things. Um, the, the first two, I think, are the two that we tend to fall into more. So when Solomon talks about life under the sun, um, he, would, he would include things that we love, that bring us incredible amounts of joy. Our kids, our careers, being able to use our gifts and our abilities to God's glory and for the good of the people around us. Um, the gift of finances so that we can take care of the people around us. Like, all of those things. So uh, on some level... I am not saying, and even Solomon is not saying that those things are worthless, that they should not bring you joy and that you should just walk around down in the mouth, all things are vapor, why am I even working, kick everything to the curb, right? Um, those things give us joy and those are blessings from our God above. But, but at their core, Solomon is saying those are all things that are under the sun. In fact, so are you and I. Because we have a determined lifespan, right? And we can't take earthly things with us. And so that's all that Solomon is talking about, right? But there's a much bigger picture going on here. And we'll get to it in our subsequent sermons. But we're talking about kind of that last one, cosmic meaning that meta-narrative. Where do we fit in eternity? Where do we fit in, in the cosmic realities of our world our God who created it, and where we're at in this time at this moment, okay? There's good news. Solomon says all things are vapor, and verses 1 through 11, if I just left you there, would not be very exciting for you on a Sunday. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. Our God above does not leave us to sit in our vapor. He doesn't leave us to sit and toil with life under the sun without knowing that he has interceded. In fact, we see that in our gospel lesson today. Jesus, his own words, come to us, come to you. And if you're sitting there in the vapor, this is what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So here's the reality that Solomon will allude to and get to later in his book. But what we need to leave here this morning knowing without a shadow of a doubt that life under the sun may feel like vapor and may feel temporary. Therefore, we needed someone to enter into our world to give it meaning and to give our lives meaning. And it was Jesus Christ. 
We have a God above that created all things, saw that creation uh, mired in sin and brokenness, saw it all going to vapor, and God said, I love you enough that I am not going to let you just sit in the midst of your, your aimlessness and your meaninglessness. I'm going to enter your world and your lives. I'm going to fix what you have broken. That is who Christ is. True God and true man. Um, God that exists outside of our world entered into our world in order to pull us from our vapor and our sorrow and our meaningless lives to give us meaning. Somebody needed to break the cycle of meaninglessness. Christ did it on your behalf. And remember his ministry a little bit? He had a beginning. He had a ministry He had an end, and he had a resurrection. And so if Solomon talks about this kind of endless cycle of things, Christ breaks into it like sunshine breaking through a cloud and says no more, right? He broke into our world, into your lives, his life, his perfect life, his innocent death, his resurrection mean that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that you have eternity in heaven with him. Not because of the things we do and the vapor we expel, but because of his life, his perfection given to you in grace. So, Jesus breaks into our gloom, right? Jesus lifts us from our brokenness and assures you that you are forgiven. That you are a part of something far bigger than yourselves, far bigger than your momentary lives. So are your kids and, their, and your grandkids. We're a part of something far greater because of Christ, because he entered our world. And what do we get to hope for? What do we get to look forward to as we toil under the sun? Book of Revelation gives us a little view of that. Chapter 21, verse 4. The Apostle John was the last living disciple. He had seen all of his friends die. Uh, He had seen family members die. He had seen um, the birth of the Christian church. And yet in his old age, God comes to him and says, John, everything you've done and the people you've lost are not mere vapor and meaningless. But they're in eternity with me. And he gives John this vision in the book of Revelation. Says to him, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's the joy we get to look forward to. Life is not meaningless because Christ has entered it. Life is not meaningless because we get to look to eternity and a Savior that reassures us that we are in fact forgiven and a part of something far bigger than ourselves. Amen. 